Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. James. Steve, how are you? I am good, and we're we're kind of bucket listing on this, this episode. It's fantastic. So, so everyone knows I'm close to Kurt Franklin, leading Saints, mm-hmm. and I have not heard a name come out of his mouth more often than more often yes. than Tony Overbay. Correct. And there is no one higher on my list that it's like, gosh, I gotta get like into his stuff or do one of his programs for myself or so. Like, yeah. I have got to find him. And and so now, boom, we had we have Tony on here, right. um, excellent episode. And uh, tell us tell us your Tony experience, James. Um, I feel like I just had a phenomenal therapy session. Questions about therapy, about healing, about. The perfectionism recovery. of recovery. Yeah, all like I just got a whole bunch of education and tools in my tool belt that I didn't have before. Amen. And I feel like there are people who are like, hey, I read this book or I read this quote. And so as the experts say, and I'm going to now tell you that that information, mm-hmm. which nothing wrong with that. Brene Brown has made a fantastic career mm-hmm. essentially gathering all the information, just saying it better, which is awesome. I'm a huge Brene fan. So nothing wrong with that. But like, there's some wisdom coming out of this guy. Like real, like I'm like... No, this you, is the walk of experience. This is the... Amen. Yeah. This is the walk of experience. So if you want to go on the walk of experience with truly a therapist, and I just want to name the heart space. Oh, yeah. Like this is... I'm like, I'm like, this is a guy that clearly cares about healing the world, about healing the hearts and beliefs. So with that... Join us here with Tony. Follow us on social media at Unashamed Unafraid. If you need scholarships, unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarship slash donate. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, so join us there. Tony's website in the show notes, but tonyoverbay.com to get in contact with all his stuff and his podcast also we'll have in the show notes. So real expert, real heart in real time. Join us with Tony. So out of all of the people that I personally have been waiting to have on our podcast here, Tony, I have to let you know, it's actually you. I know this might be a little awkward for us starting. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So to make the the connected dots, we have a very good mutual friend who I call KF, Kurt Frankham, who hosts Leading Saints. And see, and that's, that's my guy. And I cannot tell you that every single time you come into town, right? Hailing from California. So when you come up here to Utah, Kurt's like, dude, you and Tony have to meet. You and Tony have to hang out. You and Tony, Ah, you and Tony, you and Tony. I trust Kurt. Okay. I trust Kurt as well. And so I'm like, Kurt, I kind of thought I had all the space in your heart. And you're telling me this other guy has all the space in your heart. So I I feel like there's something needs to happen here. So yeah. my my hope is that after this, that you and I are still friends with Kurt and that you and I just don't run off into the sunset without him. I, I feel as if he almost <laughs> deserves that, though, because it sounds like he's been getting in the middle of us and we didn't even know it. Yeah, I mean, you talked about, you know, potential intervention happening on here. We might have another episode with KF on here with us. So I'm, so for those of you, for those here who just like don't know you, tell us who you are. This is the awkward part, right? I my name is Tony Overbay. That's why I like if you guys say hi, Tony. 
You want the 12 step? Hello, Tony. I I do enjoy it. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and uh, a podcast host. And I just, I, as odd as it sounds, I just, I love talking about what I know we're going to end up talking about today because I feel like there is so much, you know, shame around the topic. And so I'm grateful for what you guys do. I've listened to a lot of your episodes, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And what I, Tony- I, I was actually offended. Can I tell you like a little bit jokingly where yeah, when do. I, when I was like, when I think, did I see you when I came and did the last leading saints or no, I saw there was, yes, saw me. Yes. yes. And then, and then, and then when Kurt said, and you were nice to me as well. And then I thought, <laughs> good job being looked, nice, James. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, James. And then I was looking at uh, all the guests you've had on. And I was like, okay. And they, they haven't even thought about me, huh? Like I'm offended. And then I thought, oh, that is a, a ego right there. So, you know, so I'm, I'm really happy to be here. No, have been on, have been on the list for a while. My truth is I was like, I don't want to do some podcast over Zoom. I need to meet the guy. Oh, gotcha. And that, so that's actually been our holdup. But the part that Tony's not saying, which I'll go ahead and say for him, is a very prominent and important and big deal expert voice in the self-help space and the therapeutic space about porn and sexual addiction recovery. So Tony is one of those people that like gets quoted. And when you're in recovery circles, people are like, well, the way Tony Overbay <laughs> says it is. Oh, so and then everyone's like, Ooh, that's new gospel right there. <laughs> so we're just excited to have some knowledge dropped. So that's the part that Tony's not telling you yeah. that I'll go ahead and fill in the he's, gap. He's a humble, humble man. Amen. I'm very good at being humble. One of so, the so first question I always ask when I'm talking to experts and because I want to know is I have a giant um, issue with once an all addict, always an addict, and that oh. this is something you're going to manage the rest of your life. Amen. So, Tony, I just want to know how you feel about that sentiment that many propagate, still hold on to, believe to be the truth ready go oh, okay stop me i feel like we need a timer on the clock i've set down my fidget toy i've had a drink of water i am ready one of my one, one okay and sorry i don't i allergies are bad in the area and so i i am gonna have to clear my throat and i'll try to mute when i do that or i'll look away from the the mic don't I'll worry do about it. our audio guy will clean it up just be you okay i'll tell you what's good as a therapist though my eyes are red and it looks like i've had a, a, an amazing emotional connection with all of my clients today so there is some positive that comes out of that. But I, there's a, a friend of mine named Sam Tielemans, and I don't know if you've had mm-hmm. Sam on. Okay. Yeah. So, yep. Okay. And so he said, but I think he was quoting someone else. And the reality is I really want to take this quote over. So I just want you to know that it was hard for me to say Sam said this, but there's a quote that, that he said on one of, I think my podcast where I was on his, the strongest force in the human personality is to act in alignment with how you see yourself. So however you identify yourself, you're going to find a way back to your home base. And I think that that is sums up so well what I think about when somebody says that they are an addict, because if they if they identify as an addict, then even when they have been sober for however long, but I'm an addict. So then it's almost like, so, I mean, this is going to run out because I'm an addict. And, and I love if you look at that as, or how about I'm a son of God, or I am of infinite worth. Then if that is the how I identify myself, then even if I have a struggle or a setback or a slip up, when I return back to my home base, it's that I'm a son of God. And so that's where I feel like that that concept of of just identifying as an addict is a real, I feel it's a real challenge. Now, I will meet somebody where they're at, and I'm really open about if someone feels like that has helped them maybe bring enough awareness to then work on the issue. 
then then I will meet them there. But I'm going to try to help work them to the point where they move from being an addict to a, a son of God or an amazing person. But then I, for me personally, I, I don't, I tend to not go with the the label addict, even though my book is literally called, he's a porn addict. Now what? So, you know, but I, so I know that I, I, I probably, it can look like I'm all over the map on that, but that's, that's where I'm at. And I really believe whatever it takes for somebody to start to do the work, then that's where I want to go. And if, and if that, that label of addict is what is off-putting, no problem. If that label is what gets someone to say, I think I can do this, then then I dub the addict, you know, but at the end of the day, we're going to work toward. Or I've got uh, a problem. This helps yeah, me absolutely. believe I've got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, that, was, that was very much my story, Tony, is <laughs> I just was like, well, I just have this bad habit. I can't quite kick it. I just must be broken. Yeah. And it wasn't until I identified like, oh, wait, maybe I have an addiction. Maybe I'm an addict. That actually gave me hope Okay, because I was like, oh, addicts can get help. Addicts okay, have so I programs, like that version. Yeah. Right. And then it was later as I continued to grow and develop and now develop a new identity of like, yep, I am of infinite worth. Yeah. Then I could start to drop the addict label and now I could take over with choice. Yeah. And ownership and accountability now, recognizing that the addict label was no longer helping me. I love it. I, I honestly love that so much. And uh, I think there's some things there that, again, this is where when you say, okay, turns out I'm not broken. I say this so often that I just, I and I believe it with every bit of my soul is that when people say what's wrong with me, I'm broken, those sort of things, that's, that's that core, just that negative shame, self-wounding childhood, you know, stuff that we bring into that I still think I have to beat myself up in order to get better. And, and I like to say, I'm, I've worked with over 1,500 individuals that are trying to overcome turning to pornography as an unhealthy coping mechanism. I know that's a mouthful. And so far, I like to say that I'm 0 for 1,500 in shame being a component of recovery. And so when somebody says- oh, that, one, and, Agreed. We're oh, with you right? on that one. And, and when I say that somebody, when they say, and I, oh, and I'm, I know I'm broken or what's wrong with me, then this is where I drop into my therapy model of acceptance and commitment therapy, which says, oh, you're actually the only version of you that's ever walked the face of the earth. So the way you think, feel, and, and behave is you do it because you're doing it because that's what you do. So I am not broken. I am human. You know, and I'm this byproduct of all my nature, nurture, birth order, DNA, abandonment, rejection, hope, fear. So you start from a place of check this out. This is how I react. This is how I behave. This is how I cope. Instead of I know I shouldn't. I know I'm bad because that's we still want somebody to say, you know, no, you're not. Or yes, you are. And I'm, that we're still handing our power to somebody else to then say, right. I deem the OK, you know. And so anyway, not broken human. Now let's do something about it. You know, that's that's kind of where I like to go. Well, and in in lane with this, the other one that I think just, you know, with with your experience that I think would be great to name is um, like, can people actually be done with this? So the term I always use is like healed ED, like instead of like healing, I'm on the healing journey. I'm like, yeah. does this chapter end? Like, I know I'll always have like spiritual issues, mental health challenges, shame on some level, whatever. But this chapter of like not wanting to look at porn or sleep with yeah. prostitutes or whatever your sexual compulsive behavior is, like the addiction that I'm struggling with, like, can that end? Okay. <clears throat> I'm so grateful. This is fun. I'm, I'm, that's why I say, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. Bye, uh, Kurt. This. We don't remember who you are. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. <laughs> Kurt's done. So if you guys don't mind, if, if I haven't, 
I've talked about this on my men's group meeting that I do, and but I don't know if I really shared this. So look, this a, a podcast exclusive. So I don't know if I've really gone into the where I want to go with this. So it might be a second to sort out. But when when I have new people come on to my group, and I've got this online recovery program called the Path Back, and when new people come in, then they usually are saying they start with the what's wrong with me and all that stuff. So we we have to work on that, and then it's the how long? How long am I? Is this going to last? Or I know I'm going to be this way forever. And and I I have to get the guys that are already on there. It's an online group, but almost to like okay, don't nobody nobody sigh or groan, nobody roll their eyes because you know when the new people come in, that's the mindset. And then in reality, so I I really believe we turn to coping mechanisms because we feel I call them these voids. They don't feel connected in your relationships, your parenting, your health, your faith, your career. And so then we go and we we tackle those areas. And so then that you know siren song of, of coping, it lessens. And so then if you still end up turning to an unhealthy coping mechanism because you're a human being and you've got these deeply rutted neuropathways that that's what you've been doing, that then when you do it, then, okay, that happened. And this is where I say no shame, noted. All right, that happened. Don't beat yourself up and then review the game film. All right, what 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 happened? What am I pretending not to know? And then give it zero emotional calories and then turn to some value-based activity or goal. And then over time, what it starts to feel like to be you is that I start noticing that I I have a temptation or want to turn to an unhealthy coping mechanism. And now I, and I learn to sit with that discomfort because that turning to that coping mechanism is usually pretty impulsive. And that's just because that's what I do. So now I sit with discomfort because now I have all these, I'm, I'm more dialed in in these other areas of my life. So I can turn and, and have a connection with with others. And and so then, so this is why I say that it's a long process, unfortunately. I think that's the part that it can be a little bit, you know, nobody wants to hear that at the beginning. But then I sure. feel like, you know, you, you get into year whatever, the end of year one, two, three, and now it's like, okay, okay, that happens every now and again, but I'm I'm a child of God and I've and I'm working on my marriage. I'm working on I'm being a better parent. I'm I'm got a better relationship with God. I actually have worked values into my job or I'm doing something I like. I, I'm taking action on my health and whatever the way it is that means to me. So now all of a sudden, if there is a setback, it is it's a thing that which is, but it doesn't hold all that emotional calorie. I'm not burning emotional calories with the what's wrong with me, what we you know, that sort of thing. And so then I feel like by the time somebody hits you or whatever, two, three, it it just it doesn't. It doesn't, it's not the thing that it used to be. So that's where I love your saying healed. Cause I feel like that to me would be healed where, I mean, may, maybe it happens. And if it does, then, then that happened. And and now I have to then go back and review the game film, you know, and, and Wait, uh, Tony, <clears throat> you are going off the, can't say the F word on a podcast rails. <laughs> I know. Tony, what you're telling me is prior to having years of sobriety, I can feel whole and healed yes. and good about myself and just like be living my life. It's amazing. Yeah. And and this is the part that I'm telling you <laughs> year, years ago. I, I have to be honest. This is where I think it's so funny. And I'm I'm going to, it's going to maybe sound like I'm actually being egotistical, but I, I love when somebody says that I'm an expert or whatever, because I, I just look, like learning and doing and working with people. Because I was, I didn't realize I was actually almost helping people the air quote wrong way a decade ago because I wasn't doing all the, just change your thought, just, you know, how hard do you want to fight, sing the hymn, do the push. Like I didn't realize, oh, that I missed the day in training where I was supposed to be doing that. I'd be doing this other stuff and getting results, but it wasn't be perfect. 
you know? And so I've had this ongoing loving battle <laughs> with even some of the, 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 like the priesthood leaders or the, with my clients mm-hmm. where, okay, no, we can't really do the thing anymore where you must be perfect for this amount of time. Cause then I think, okay, I'm actually starting to create people that are, are not being true or authentic or, you know, and so we have to change that whole narrative. And it's, it's, I think it's finally happening the last three or four years, but I've been, I've been banging this drum for a while. As a matter of fact, Kurt has a hidden video somewhere on Facebook where I talked about the first time I went on leading saints, I, I talked about harm, the harm reduction strategy. So mm-hmm. it's the, and if someone is going into the lion's den and they are triggered and, and they are about to have a setback harm reduction, you know, get in and get out. And, and cause then you actually can feel empowered while there might even be a relapse happening. Yeah. And so then, you know, well, and to real quick insert yeah. harm reduction is it, Instead of it's watching from, porn for an hour, watch it for ten minutes and get it. It really is, and and yes. this is the part yeah. where just if you, I, if, if you people aren't familiar with yeah. the term, and I know reduction. that, and this yeah. is the part where I I've had to. It sounds all dramatic, but I feel like I've had to get to the point where I I know what what works for the people that I work with, and I have a tremendous amount of confidence in in the way that turning to these healthy coping mechanisms, filling in these voids in one's life, giving oneself grace, knowing I'm a child of God and forgiveness. And and then it, cause you end up getting to some good accountability, self-confrontation. And so that's where I feel like the harm reduction model is if somebody, I want someone to come into my office and not feel like they have to be perfect because first of all, that, that is this, the wrong method. So if something happened, I want them to be able to even say, okay, but in that moment, I still was able to, yeah, if I used to be with prostitutes, now I'm looking at porn. I mean, how how crazy is that? To, then I get to say, oh, nice, like way to go. And if it's hardcore porn, then it's less. And if it was an hour, it's 10 minutes. And if it's, and on my online program, I've even got it down to where, you know, you almost put a scorecard of the pornography, masturbation, orgasm. And if it's once every day, it's at the end of a week, it's 21. And if the next week it's 18, we're celebrating, you know, and you're getting it down to, you know, one or whatever that looks like. Totally. Yeah. So. Well, and it's not the it's not the weight that it was. But so you're hitting on a question I've never actually asked anyone on this podcast, and I think it's actually a lot of times. So I abuse this podcast to work my own recovery. Sure. And so I often just ask questions because I just want to know for me. But why is it that you think when and I'll say most, and I really mean all, but I know you can't <laughs> technically say all. So yeah. I'm gonna say most, but I really mean all have this perfectionist mindset when we come to recovery. Like when, whether I'm discovered, whether I'm caught, whether I come forward, there's this, I need to 100% in perfection be done with this. And I need to engage in whatever the process is to arrive at perfection. Like why do we have such a perfection mindset that is honestly an amazing question. And I, I want to say I've got three things that I want to say to it. And then I'm actually, here's where my ADHD kicks in. I'm like, how do people all of a sudden know that they have three things when I haven't even started talking yet? So I may actually end up with a fourth or a fifth, or I might not even remember. Bonus. Yep. Okay. So so I feel like one of the first things is that is there is that concept of external validation. I mean, we we have to really work hard to not need someone else to tell us we're okay. So I feel like the, I, I have gone and sinned no more and I am perfect. Then that is, that is applauded. And so validation, we like that validation. And so then all of a sudden, if I, if I say, oh, but I had a setback and I'm around people that don't understand what's going on. Now there's the frowny faces. And so that is not validation. So at our core, you know, we want, we want people to like us. And so I feel like there's one And then another one is I really, and I just did a podcast on uh, my virtual couch podcast about this, this week. And I I really feel very passionate about this too. Part of the whole 
challenge, I was going to say problem, but that sounds dramatic, but challenge with turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms is we, we just don't like to sit with discomfort. And so, you know, if somebody, if somebody expresses an opinion and we don't like it, the way we get rid of that discomfort is we let them know they're wrong or we say, oh, you're right. I'm so dumb. So they'll tell me, no, you're okay. And then the way we, and if we're sitting with discomfort in because our, we feel like we, our wife doesn't love us or yeah, yeah. yeah, Right. And so then we'll turn to these unhealthy coping mechanisms. So I, one of the ways that people get rid of discomfort as well, I believe very strongly is through things like confession. And so I, I have people that when they feel anxious, they want to go confess and and not and I'll I'll give this another minute because I'm not saying confession is bad. I feel like if somebody is confessing because they need help and they want help and they trust that person and that person is going to say, man, thank you so much. And how can I help? It's awesome. But if the person feels anxious and they feel like they got caught or bad or you name it, and then they confess and the person says, thank you, you're good. If that just simply alleviates that anxiety and now they feel like I'm good. Now they go and they don't really work on themselves. I feel like that that's a pattern as well. And mm-hmm. so people, you know, so if you're looking at get, I get validation when I confess. Love that one. I get rid of my well, anxiety. And right? I, I think, yeah. I think that's, that's a great, point. I think that's where people get stuck in so much church or God process. Is yep. It's a big spiritual bypass. Yep. It is. That, and that's, that's kind of where I go. I, I feel like yeah. it, so often the, the confession is the external validation and then, you know, you are good. And so then it's like, oh, okay, that relieves my anxiety and I can just go about my day. And I feel like I'm okay. I'm not going to do it anymore because that also makes me feel good until I do it again. But then I can confess right. again and then I'll get validation and I'll get, you know, the, you, I forgive thee. And so that's the part where I feel like, you know, I, I believe in most every congregation, they could have their own 12 step group with a whole lot of people, but so many people are dealing with it in that way, man, yeah. I feel uncomfortable, but even I feel like somebody can have a, a prayer at the end of the day, and I'm not saying this is a negative thing, but I'm saying that they feel like, okay, I feel relief in that prayer that I will never do it again. I got rid of that anxiety, but am I actually working on the the problem? Well, and I think whoever they're meeting, confessing to, whether it's their wife or a mm-hmm. bishop or pastor or whoever, the the fact that they're doing it in, in this codependent external validation yeah. way, yeah. eventually it becomes not enough. Like exactly. eventually the bishop is like, stop coming in here every week and telling me you did it. And then they're like, oh, now it's backfiring. Like I thought this was like, yeah. I feel like so eventually in whatever relationship that, that kind of bypassing and like, huh, like it catches yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's it. I can't remember the third thing. So we, what we have a validation sitting with discomfort and oh, oh, perfectionism. I mean, I really still feel like that, that is the, I, I do feel like we, for the most part, I mean, again, we're praised for when we are, we do well, we don't get a lot of praise for just being okay. And so it sounds funny sometimes as a therapist to say, we need to be okay with, in essence, mediocrity in a sense. But again, we don't get praise. We don't get validation from that. So when someone appears to have all of their stuff figured out and no problems, I mean, that person, a lot of times is the person that is put in leadership positions, is the person that's put out in front of, you know, the rest of the people. So it's like, man, if I ever want that, then I I have to be perfect to the point where, oh, and we could go deep on this one too, gentlemen, where there's a concept called confabulation, this confabulated memory, which is the 
we create almost a, a, a different narrative in real time because it, it eases our anxiety. So, you know, if I say the rosy I, colored glasses, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and here's a, here's a funny version of this. So I had a guy Monday that I, I love to death. I've been working with him forever. And he texts me and he says, I'm going to be five minutes late. And so I sit here at my desk, he comes into the office and it's funny because he'll tell me five minutes and he speeds and he gets here two minutes late. So I'm ready for that old, that old, uh, chestnut. And then he yeah. comes in, he's six minutes late. And I say, Oh, you're late of being late. And he says, no, I said 10 minutes. And he chuckles. And I said, oh, no, you said five. And I laugh. And then we look at the, the phone and he said, I'll be a few minutes late. Now, this is within a 10 minute stand, you know, point of right. time. And the reason I mentioned this is because it's amazing what our brain can do. Because if you would have hooked me up to a polygraph or I had to testify mm-hmm. in court, oh, it said five minutes. And mm-hmm. he felt the same about 10, but really it said a few, but I already had worked out a whole narrative of why it said five and why this is funny and he's actually late and in the past. So, so I feel like even people do that often with the, the, no, I'm good. And, and I'm, and I, I, it's okay. I am perfect because it really didn't happen the way that I, I probably think it did. It actually, it wasn't even my fault. It wasn't as bad as it was. I actually was probably half asleep. I was, and we create this confabulated narrative in real time. And then, you know, and now it, that also eases our anxiety. And if you can see this, this, this thread that I'm, I feel like is so important is we need to learn that as we become okay, <laughs> we are enough that then part of that maturation process is to sit with uncomfortable feelings and know that we're, we're going to be okay, you know, and, and then we can get through those things. And that's where things I think are amazing. Like, uh, mindfulness and breathing and staying present and turning to a value-based activity and those things eventually then those can replace what happens when I feel anxious and I feel uncomfortable and I feel all of those uncomfortable feelings that typically lead to an unhealthy coping mechanism. So where would you say is a good like starting point? So if I'm listening right now and I'm like totally down with that, I've kind of had the perfectionist or the wrong mindset around recovery. Yeah. What What's kind of the like other than getting on your waiting list, what's the, what's the other option, right? Or, yeah. the, or, or just in principle, right? The idea of like, yeah. how do I start that shift? Yeah, I think, I mean, and so there's a concept that I, I don't remember. It, it's from this book called Buddha Brain that I love. And so I completely butcher this, but it's like these, this path, I don't know, enlightenment, awareness, awareness or enlightenment. Did I miss the enlightenment or awareness? There we go. I made up go. words. Yeah. But there's, there's in general, this essence of where you don't know what you don't know. And that's what many people, that's the way they're, they're going through life. Mm-hmm. And then now all of a sudden I know. So now all of a sudden, if I'm hearing this and I know now, okay, got it. Don't beat myself up. No shame. But then I don't, I don't regularly do. And that is one of the, the, places that people get stuck so much where I heard the podcast, I know I need to be whatever, I need to sit with discomfort or, okay, what's a healthy coping mechanism or, you know, all those things. But then our deeply rutted neuropathways are so, so distinct that we continue to, even with that awareness, we still do a lot of the same things we did before. And then we get to beat ourselves up because, well, now I know, and I still don't do, you know, again, back to the, what's wrong with me narrative. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I just like making people aware that, okay, if, if you didn't know what you didn't know, and you were just doing what you were doing, now you're, you, you're starting to know what you didn't know, which is the, the concepts around recovery and forgiveness and grace and, and, you know, all these things. And then over time, now you start to do the things that you've learned more than you don't. And then mm-hmm. that fourth step of awakening or on this path of enlightenment is you become and it kind of goes back to that, what we were talking about earlier, where I get people in in my at the beginning stages of my group 
and they didn't even know what they didn't know. Now they're aware and they want help, but they're not doing. And so they're asking, I want to say the wrong questions, but there is no wrong question, that good stuff. But they're asking these questions that are still from this place of like- Yeah, aren't helpful. Aren't helpful. Aren't going to get a movement. Yeah. Yeah. And so then eventually now they are, they now even speak the right lingo. You know, now I turned to a healthy coping mechanism. I identified my values. I was able to sit with discomfort. I noticed that I was starting to go immediately to shame. And then they start to take action, but there still might be a setback. And so that's where they're starting to do more than they don't. And then eventually they just become, and then what it feels like to be them, which is uh, this cool thing called your implicit memory, which is mm-hmm. it's, it's formed by the, like the gradual, you know, shading of your day-to-day experience is that over time, you now become this person that is turning to healthier value-based activities that is starting to become more connected with the things that you used to feel a lot of discomfort with. So that need to turn on. I realize now I'm getting, where's somebody start though? I think it really does become almost this, this journey of awareness. So listen to podcasts, read books, start to just be more aware, start to take notice of, oh man, I do beat myself up. And, and so I feel like that's where yeah, people have to just start to just, if you're listening to your podcast, they're, they're now aware and they're starting to try to understand and they're starting to want to do. And again, I feel like that's a place that can get really tricky because sometimes people almost don't want to take whatever that next step is. And it might be working with a therapist or a coach or taking a course or a program or, Mm -hmm. and that's the part where I feel like, oh, that feels uncomfortable. And then we're back to, well, I don't like to feel uncomfortable. So I'll do it later, you know, that, that kind of thing. So that you, this was reminding me of something you said really quickly in passing. You said, what am I pretending not to know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So tell us what that means and what that looks like and how we can be more, how can us and everybody develop more awareness yeah. around when we're pretending not to know something <laughs> yeah. and then just take accountability. That's okay. And that's the word, right? That's where that comes from on my marriage course. I've got a module on accountability and it's, it's so good because boy, we just, it, that's that part that goes back to I mean, I, I lay out on a couple of my podcasts. I mean, I could go for 20 minutes on, you know, from the womb out, you know, our abandonment and our attachment issues. Yeah. And, but in essence, we really just, we we have in our core that if we get in trouble, then we die. I mean, I could lay out a even more nerdy version of that, but, you know, we come out of the womb and if we express ourselves, we get our need met. Little babies are cute. And if they cry, we feed them and change their diapers. And then eventually they get to the point where, okay, well, I'm, I'm asking for things. I'm expressing myself. I'd like candy before dinner. I would like to stay up all night. I'd like a pony. Mm-hmm. And then the parent says no. And all of a sudden the kid says, well, I emote and I get what I want. So I don't understand. So then now we, now I say, now welcome to this world of abandonment. So now I feel like, well, if I'm not getting what I want, it must be because something's wrong with me and I am broken. So, so now people try to figure out how to show up to get their needs met because if they don't get their needs met, they die. So this is where I feel like, you know, that, that accountability thing ends up being that, oh, I, I don't, if I take ownership of something and somebody gets mad at me, then they aren't going to like me anymore. And if they don't like me, they're going to cast me out of the group. And if they cast me out of the group, I'm left alone and I die. So, so then, you know, by nature, it's almost like we we're wired to not take ownership or accountability of things because people might get mad at us. And it goes back to that part of being able to sit with that discomfort. And I feel like that is not that, that one's one of the ones that is so not as scary as we think when we just say, oh, my bad, or yeah, I did that. Mm -hmm. And that's the, what am I pretending not to know? I, I did that, you know, and, and that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or I really feel this way. Yeah. Well, and and and, so it's pretty, but you like talked about the process of even like well in advanced recovery. And it's all of a sudden now I got to play back the tape 
Oh, and yeah. Even then, what am I pretending not to know? Right. Okay, let me, yeah, and let me give you, I love that. Okay, and thanks for bringing me back to focus there too. So the the, the example I give so often, because I think it's the best one of this is, is a person I was working with that would drop kids off. Wife would go to work, he would drop kids off and they would go home for two hours before he went to work. And so, and he would, he would have a setback and then we would say, okay, don't beat yourself up, identify, let's review the game film. What happened? Well, I got home and nobody's there and, you know, and I, tried to do some things all of a sudden the and I I love talking about how the triggers really are typically I call them crimes of opportunity or boredom you know those are the main ones and then so then what is he pretending not to know that the 2 hours that he's home alone is when he acts out so even then though I can't say you need to do this I mean I can but then he may have this thing called psychological reactance nobody likes yeah. being told what to do you know don't think yeah. of a white polar bear right now I just did so you know and instead it's like well tell me more what what you know what do you think you can do with that time? And usually the person and the person has to come to that from like a self-determined place. So I feel like in that example, he had to tell me, no, now that I'm aware, I'm good. Like I can go home and I know now that is my problem. And then he goes <laughs> home and then, you know, it's a few days later and then there's the there's the setback again. So now what am I pretending not to know? Oh, that if I'm home alone in this two hour gap, because this is what I've done for so long, I'm probably going to end up acting out. So then he just started going to work early and and doing some work, you know, kind of re doing things in those two hours instead of going to his house because he was basically saying, no, I'm fine until I'm not. And then I'm fine again yeah. until I'm not. Yeah. So that, that's well, and I, I love that you're talking about how most often it, late, it feel this has been my experience in later recovery. Like it's truly becomes just crimes of opportunity or boredom yeah. become the yeah. number one time when a slip up happens. They have yeah. all all the tools all the things and now it's just this moment this this boredom what is it about boredom <laughs> that just kicks our butts okay i uh, these and i'm not just giving you guys uh, false validation i love this i don't get asked these questions enough i, I dig this stuff so much so you know it, left to its own devices it's it's interesting the brain just doesn't like to just be and and be still so it's got to have this you know this active mind and so then so often and, and here's what I, and this is one of those gospel according to me, I have no data to back this up. I think in the past I might've said, you know, I read somewhere, but I really haven't, but I really feel confident about this. So our brain is naturally, it, it they, they say it's like Teflon for positive experiences and Velcro for negative. And that's because at our very, <laughs> totally. very, right. And at our totally. very core, well, here's why though, because, it, you know, if you look at like evolutionary biology, our brain, it's operating from this place of if I get it wrong one time, I'm dead. So if I'm looking out over the savanna and I've got my whole tribe with me and if I can go, you know, knock out that alpaca we eat for a week, but then all of a sudden I see a lion, then I'm I'm like, if I get it wrong, I'm dead. So I'm going to do it tomorrow. Well, and, and so then, yeah. whatever, whatever nature you want to put on God, right, yeah. as we see him is, it actually takes a long time to build a house. And yeah. it takes like five seconds to burn it down. Ooh, right? like it takes it takes years to cultivate and create a safe childhood and a yeah. parent-child relationship. It yeah. takes moments of sexual abuse or physical abuse yeah. to destroy it. And so I don't, you know, we can all meet with God when we meet him, whatever, you know, I, I mean, whoever's close to you, I mean, Chris, you're pretty close. You ask him, but we're... <laughs> But there's something about like really building good, like creating 
takes a much larger effort than destroy. Well, and, and I really like that. And I'll eventually say that I said it. I'll take that. That's another uh, do. bonus of confabulation. And uh, y'all remember that. Well, I'll just, I'll just that, tell right? people, I'll be like, as Tony Overbay says. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what I like about that though, is so where I was kind of going with that, the brains almost, it defaults to this almost negativity is that then, then I feel like so often when somebody does have a, a history of, of turning to unhealthier coping mechanisms that then boredom, it's almost like the brain goes to this worst case scenario. I mean, and it, and it, you know, it's not worrying about the hunting, the alpaca on the plane and what if a lion comes, but it's, it's almost like, okay, you know, I mean, I, something bad's probably going to happen or I, I can't keep this up or, and so that's why I like what you're talking about, how it takes a while to build a house because it takes a lot of, of time and, and intentional effort to be able to notice I am thinking that. And that is absolutely a thought and sit with that discomfort and invite that discomfort to come with me while I do something that matters to me. And, you know, I really am a huge proponent of, of a mindfulness practice because I think that if you really, you know, I think oftentimes people think that <laughs> mindfulness or meditation is learning how to, you know, empty your mind of thoughts or that sort of thing. And it is not, I mean, it is, I mean, good luck. We're going to be thinking. And so when we yeah, just leave our mind, what it does. Yeah, it does. And so, so what it really is about is, is, you know, a, a, like a daily mindfulness practice. I use this app called Headspace. And so, you mm -hmm. know, the, the nice British guy named Andy will talk you through some reading, <laughs> which first of all, think about hey, this. Andy, shout out Andy. Right. I, oh, I wish I could do an accent, but, but if you really think even just the process of, of breathing in through my nose and out through my mouth, what is happening there is. I am lowering my heart rate. And if I lower my heart rate, I drop my cortisol uh, levels, the stress hormone. And then and I, I get to do some really cool stuff with some places that do really neat things. And there's one that does functional brain scans. And you can watch somebody with injected dye in their brain. And when their heart rate elevates, you watch almost like these light switches turn off in the prefrontal cortex, you know, this frontal lobe, and you watch their amygdala light up. And so as you raise your heart rate and start to get, oh my gosh, I'm going to act out or I'm getting excited, you're shutting down your prefrontal cortex. Like that logical part of your brain is getting hijacked. So oftentimes that's where I call it the tractor beam, you know, back in Star Wars days where when people say all of a sudden, I just, I just didn't, I don't know, I was just acting out. Well, it's because your, your amygdala hijacked the the ship. And so that mindfulness practice of, and I, it's funny when I even say it, I stand up square, but when you breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, you are lowering your heart rate, lowering your cortisol and accessing the logical part of your brain. And so that's where I, I feel like if I'm sitting there bored by myself, oh, look at this tangent. So Andy, back to Andy in Headspace. So he'll have you breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. And then he'll just oftentimes there's silence and my brain will immediately go to I don't have time for this. This is kind of silly. I've done this long <laughs> yeah. enough. I've done. And then he's like, okay, hey, you know, listen to the sounds around you. And then I'm now I am listening and I'm hearing my white noise machine. I'm hearing, you know, somebody in my waiting room. I'm hearing whatever that is. And then all of a sudden, then he's like quiet again and my brain starts going again. And so it's the process of coming back to that present moment and then breathing and lowering my heart rate so I can be present. Cause that's where I feel like you need to be able to get to that grounded place to be able to access the cool, smart part of your brain to now turn to a healthier coping mechanism or recognize this is just a thought or a feeling. And I have these all the time. Why do I have to take action on this? Totally. Yeah. Totally. And don't you, and don't you think the, I'm going to use a loaded word and maybe we can unpack okay. that one, but like the boredom, right. Or the opportunities come from, at least in my personal experience are like a lack of self-care or oh, yeah. I don't have yeah, enough yeah, yeah. of like the do good things. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. I like, so to the cl the client you brought up earlier as these two hours, you know, yeah, I, one I thing I would say to him is like, 
you don't have anything you want to do. Like the kids and aren't that there. That is why you're not a therapist. The, the wife's totally not kidding. there. Right. Like, no, right. You know what I did? It's like, I'm totally joking. But, yeah. But it's like, cause all you can go to is don't do the bad things. Yeah. It's like, but what about like golf lessons or what about like art or what about like you hustle over to the gym to play basketball with the guys or like, like, don't you have something you well, want? And, and in Jason, your let life? me tell you, like right now I am sitting with discomfort because my joke was not very funny, but I want to tell you where I was going with that. And what I love yeah. about what you're saying Number one, self-care, 100%. And I and I, I want to talk about that. And I'm, I'm grateful that you brought that up. But it's funny because it, it's this is the nuance, I think, of working with people that are in recovery is that even if I say, it's interesting, I want, I, I have to lead with curiosity. So, well, you know, tell me what that two hours is like and tell me what where you want to go with that. And what are some of the things that you like to do? Because it's wild when we're, when we're ready to, if we want to beat ourselves up, then if somebody says, well, don't you have other things you want to do? That's where that concept, it's called psychological reactance or that instant yeah. negative reaction of being told what to do. And so even if we know that, yes, I need to do that, if I'm being told that's what I need to do, and I believe this is a, a part of agency, you know, that natural built-in psychological reactance is, oh, no, I don't. You know, you're like, really? You don't have friends? I mean, because it's like, yes, you do. I've seen you with with people. But if I'm saying, well, you know what you need to do right away, our brains, especially if we're on the way toward amygdala hijack, is like, I will not be doing that. I mean, and I made a joke one time. My dad will talk about, you know, you should budget. And I'm like, no, but data show, studies show budgeting's dumb. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, it doesn't. I, I need to budget. But if you're being told to do it, our reaction is, I'm not, I know, I, I don't even need to. I, I, you know, and, and so it's funny because I even, I love that you brought it up from a standpoint of even when, if we're, if we're talking with somebody else and trying to support them, man, I love going in with curiosity. You know, tell me, tell me what For that's sure. like. What do you normally do? Or what are some of the things? And I love that, but the self-care thing is so good. And I, and I call that this thing, I call the emotional baseline, well, raising your emotional baseline. And so, cause I always, I like saying that all the stuff that we're dealing with is coming at us every day, regardless of whether we want it to or not, but our, we have this baseline of emotions that can be high or low. And I believe really when it gets down really low and that's because we're beating ourselves up and we think what's wrong with me and I'm broken and all that stuff, our baseline is so low that we can't even access the tools we need to, to, to turn to a healthier coping mechanism or to, to be able to come to the present moment. So if I get somebody in here that is so feeling down and broken and I can't quite yet go to the, you're not broken, you're human thing. Cause they're like, no, trust right. me when you understand I am really broken. So that my, my emotional baseline theory is, is any tiny bit of self-care. And if, if it's, and I had a guy one time, I love this one where, you know, he, I said, what do you like to do? I like to read. Well, what do you read? He's like, I'm reading uh, Jesus the Christ. I'm reading the infinite, all these large spiritual tomes. But his baseline was so low that even reading those made him feel like I am a horrible person because I don't even understand these and I'm not totally. doing these. So then I said, what do you like to read? He likes to read some John Grisham. So I said, okay, half an hour a day, read, read a legal thriller. And then from there, there's enough of a his baseline's up a little bit. And then it's like, now right. he will go walk the dog. Okay, well, now that feels good. And now I come back and now I can get some work done. And so the self-care. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point, we perfect the self-care. That's your point of, right, the off the rails or the yeah. the push against is because it's like when people hear self-care or dailies, they're like, yeah. oh yeah, that list of perfect things I'm supposed to do. Oh, that's Because if I was a good person, I would read my scriptures, pray, do yoga, <laughs> do all, listen to Tony's podcast, yeah. donate oh, it unashamed, that, do the that. dishes for my wife, as opposed to, I think yes. what right you and I are connecting in is actual self-care yep. of like what actually fills you. Yes. What and, actually and, can, and, and, and brings, and, I like and, how you said that, bring the baseline up, actually yeah. brings the baseline up. 
So, and, and it can yeah, be I like anything that. like I, I did, I've got this, I've got a, a women's group for women in narcissistic or emotionally immature relationships. And, and we talk about my number one rule there is the first thing, raise your baseline. Cause you have to be in the best place you can be to be able to show up in these relationships. And I think the same thing, raise your baseline. You have to be in the best place you can be to be able to, to, you know, battle the, this challenge. And so, and I, I love, I like to say self-care is not selfish and it can even start with a, a mindset. And it doesn't mean that people have to go run a marathon. And I feel like often that's what people assume is I have to do some big thing, which then again, now they'll feel bad that, well, I can't even do that big thing. So yeah, any bit of self-care is, is a good place to start. So I got a question for you here then with, you know, around some mindfulness and this mindfulness approach. So how does a person learn to sit with, so like deep PTSD type pain? Okay. This is the type of pain where nightmares, intrusive thoughts, somebody maybe in war or, or, you know, violence and stuff like that. Or first responder, traumatic family, natural disasters. Yeah. That kind of go above and beyond this sort of like typical, maybe childhood wounding. Right. Mm -hmm. Like not to, right. Not to diminish those wounds, but some of these seem like they might have a little stronger impact on the, on the soul, on the, you know, on, on the nervous system. And so how does one start to, like, if I've got one of those guys, Mm -hmm. how how am I going to have that person sit with that over that literally probably overwhelming feeling? It will. So, and and thank you, because I know that I am, sometimes I I feel like I make this all sound, it's pretty easy and and here are these things, but there, there's an amazing book called The Body Keeps the Score. Excuse me, by Bessel yep. van der Kolk. Preach. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and I mean, I just did another episode on this on the virtual couch uh, a few weeks ago, but, and, and I will, and I love, I, I will kind of say this here that I feel like the concepts around the body, keeping the score, I really feel like is a, is an amazing thing about the body that is, is a God thing. So it's all about, okay. For sure. And one quick tangent here. So I also have a marriage course and I think I've worked with 12 or 1300 couples and I actually the couples that it's funny the couples work came from the addiction work because when i talked earlier about i had to help people become better in their relationships so they wouldn't turn to an unhealthy coping mechanism so i went and and did all i could do to learn about a couple's modality and and then uh, now i see 20 couples a week and have forever and i've got a marriage course and and these four pillars of a connected conversation i feel so passionate about but in that world of this emotionally focused therapy or it's based off of this this concept called uh, the EFT, but it, it really Stu, talks Stu Johnson, about- Johnson, if you want yeah, to exactly right. Yeah. Yes. So what it talks Hold about tight, is that- right? yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we really are in the EFT you know, manuals as a therapist, in essence, you're kind of teaching people that your, your response, your emotions travel about two and a half times faster than your logic. And so that is that visceral reaction. So, so I love kind of giving an example of if you walk outside and out of the corner of your eye, you see something on the ground, you may- slightly recoil and then you realize it's just a string or a stick and if you think of that's where i say oh that's a that's a god thing like that's amazing that i don't even know what it was and i'm and i'm recoiling that visceral emotional reaction is so far ahead of my logical brain and it's a and it's a safety thing and if you look at it everything that we see and hear 
you know, gets converted in these nice little electrical signals and it goes right to that, you know, that amygdala, that am I safe? And if I'm safe, then what can I do about it? So if, when you really start looking at PTSD, you've had some experiences and, and it can be this uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, CPTSD, which is like relationship trauma, or, you know, it can mm -hmm. be the sexual trauma. And so, you know, that's where if you have somebody that is in an abusive relationship, even, and their, their spouse pulls up in the driveway and they all of a sudden, Ooh, their heart rate starts to elevate. So the body keeps the score vibe, right? Is that th there's a belief that their emotions are far ahead of their, their, their logical brain because they don't feel safe. And then at that moment, they can't tap into that prefrontal cortex. So, so that's where I think somebody really needs to get some professional help because I mean, I've had two sessions today that are working around this concept of EMDR, if you're familiar with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and of, of clearing the trauma. Yeah. yeah. And what's in, in yeah. there, man, there's a cool, there's a YouTube video I watched that I thought gave the most simple version of even like how this works. And I think even just talking about this might help somebody say, okay, maybe I need to go get, you know, do some EMDR or brain spotting or brain mapping or one of these advanced trauma techniques. Yeah. But the, the person was talking about how when we're young, like let's say we're a little kid and we're moving forward and walking, our eyes are going left, right, and we're scanning the horizon for safety. And so what's so cool about the brain is that you start doing that over the course of your lifetime. And eventually your brain just says, okay, I don't even have to be moving. If this guy's eyes are moving left and right, then we must be safe. And so, it, you know, we put out this, this chemical in our brain that suppresses the cortisol, which is that, that stress drug the, that causes us to get in our fight or flight. So then what EMDR starts to do is, and, and again, it's so wild. I love it as a therapist because you've got, I've got these theratappers that go left, right, mm -hmm. they pulsate. So, you know, those people that discovered EMDR went from, we can do it, move our hand left, right. We can tap left, right. And I've got these music people yeah, do, this right? too. do that with the brain so, spotting. So too, when yeah. you look at that, like, so you, what your brain is doing is that pattern of left, right is suppressing the, the fight or flight chemicals. So then you're processing a traumatic event and it isn't as traumatic. So it isn't as scary. And, and it's like a pretty beautiful thing. And so when you've got a therapist, you know, that, that can take you through that to create the safe space, the safe environment, a safe character, and then be able to start processing trauma and it comes up and you're able to, to calmly talk about it because your amygdala is suppressed. Then all of a sudden you start realizing, man, the feelings that come with that, you know, these are from these traumatic experiences. And now all of a sudden I have that same feeling when I walk, you know, in the a grocery store aisle when I see somebody that, you know, I don't even know why. And so now we start to get into that, you know, we can start to heal that trauma. So, man, I, I, I appreciate that question. Cause if, yeah, I think that's where somebody really needs, if they just feel like I don't even, I can't even control my, my reaction and, and they're aware and they try, then maybe there's some, some deeper things there that need to be ta taken a look at. Yeah. Okay. Using a more advanced yeah. uh, trauma therapy technique. Yeah, there's that, there's some like cool data that I mean I, I at one point I looked at EMDR, brain spotting, brain mapping, accelerated resolution therapy, ACT for trauma. There's a lot of different te trauma techniques, and and I really believe personally that, um, they, I mean I'm sure there are better ones for certain people than others, and I feel like a lot of it has to do with the competence of the the therapist. But I really feel at the end of the day, I mean we want to know that we're doing something. I mean if you look at the placebo effect alone that people can heal from that the placebo effect. So I feel like when what what we do though is we often just people here in this are going to say like okay but I'm I'm afraid to go talk about it or I think it might get worse or and mm -hmm. if that's what they've been thinking and it is still there 
then then that is a their brain is kind of hooking them to that story and and if they're saying i'll just deal with it later you know their brain's even hooking them to the i'll deal with it later story and and so that's even a thing that needs to be dealt with now and there's a there's a metaphor that i love from acceptance and commitment therapy that's the man in a hole metaphor and it basically said or person but it's like you're walking in this field you fall down in this hole and then you realize you've got a tool that tool is a shovel and you are a hard worker and a shovel is a good tool. So I dig and I dig and I dig, but the more I dig, the further I get down in the tool in the, in the hole. So then you take a break, you beat yourself up. I mean, I'm a, again, hard worker, got a tool here. I'm aware this is a good tool. So I'll dig more and I get further into the hole. And then somebody comes and they hand you a ladder and you say, thank you very much. And then you try to dig with the ladder and ladders make crummy shovels. And so often, you know, somebody has tried digging in that hole of, I just need to, I just need to. I just need to get over it. I just need to stop, you know, that sort of thing. That And so that's like using the shovel. And then somebody says, hey, how about you go to therapy? And they're like, oh, okay, I, thank you for that, that ladder. I will try to dig with this. Okay, let me think about therapy for a while, you know? Now we're trying to dig with that with that new tool. And so, you know, I feel like if somebody does feel stuck, that, that's an opportunity to take a look at. And I love when clients will say, they're telling me a story and they're like, and then I picked up my shovel and I started digging again, you know, because they're doing the same thing. They know. Yeah. Well, and I love one of the mentors of ours, Mark Kimsler, you know, talks about there's no such thing as resistance, just lack of safety. Oh, that's good. And, and the thing that I would right add is it's like, I think oftentimes people try and continue to dig mm -hmm. around their trauma work in an environment that they already know body keeps the score yeah. is not safe for them. You know, and so yeah. I've worked and talked to people. It's like, well, how is different? Like, it's like totally a waste of time. I'm like, when did you know that? Like, when did you know that that therapist wasn't fit or they didn't have the skills? Oh, like after our first or second meeting. So what <laughs> yeah. happened? I just went for six months every week just to kind of try. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, Body already told, like, you already knew what, you know, or I've had people, you know, I don't know, I just don't like, you know, this spiritual community is not right for me, or I don't like this 12-step group or whatever. And, and yeah. they just kind of keep, for they're like, well, I know I don't feel safe in my body, but they say this works. And so that's why I would just add, like, yeah, there's a different 12-step group. There's another therapist. There's a different podcast. Yeah. Like, and if, I love that. If you can't create the safety, you're going to keep digging. Yeah. And I've, I've thought about that too. I've been writing a little bit about, I want to maybe do a course or something on a, you know your customized treatment plan. Because I, I feel like what happens is somebody buys a course, they read a book, they listen to a podcast. And again, it goes back to that. We're almost wired to go back to the, see, that didn't work. And that's where I, I, I appreciate that somebody can take a look at that and say, okay, what did I get from this podcast? What did I get from this course? What did I get from this book? Because it goes back to you're the only version of you that has ever walked the face of the earth. So your right. treatment may be specialized and that's okay. And and I, I appreciate when someone will come into me and again, they really don't yet have, I feel like the the right tools, maybe they're still, they still bring their shovel into therapy. And so then they will even say, hey, I had another setback. See, guess I guess this isn't working. And then I think, oh, how adorable. You know, you're trying to convince yourself <laughs> and me that you are the special one that these this will not work. You know, so yeah, yeah nice try that. brain, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, love all of it. Love all of it. And, um, you know, Tony, if I were to do one thing if i'm someone who is working in recovery as, as we close with our time here not yeah. that i feel like we go for another 10 hours know, and not not even good. blink so you've been amazing to have on here but if we were if just just the one thing you were literally 
you're you've been hit by the car you're bleeding you're about to die and there's one more man that walks up and he's like tony i've been in recovery i can't figure out i need help what would you tell me and in that gasping breath the one thing you want to communicate to him so that he'll make it to heal in that place what would that be? Oh, I love the buildup because now I can't decide on a couple of them. But if I guess it would be, I mean, I know this maybe isn't exactly, but I just want to say you're okay. You're, you are enough. You are, you are of royal heritage. You like, you're fine. We're, we're the ones beating ourselves up. But it turns out, you know, I love talking about anytime I get a chance to speak in, in a, in a spiritual environment, I love closing up with a good old uh, round of the atonement where it's like, man, I've been doing this job for so long that, that people come in and, and it's every, we all have so much stuff that we're dealing with, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, psych- you know, uh, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, missed out hopes, dreams. I was supposed to be six foot two. I'm like five, eight with shoes on. I mean, you know, it, we've got this stuff that then, you know, I can, anytime I want go to the. I did not expect to be five eight and and bald. I mean, come on. I mean, we can beat ourselves up about the silliest of things, and so we just have to recognize that we are enough. We are, uh, you know, we are a child of God. That atonement covers, and and I almost personally, I'm not a. I don't care as much. Maybe it sounds harsh, but about the sin part. But it's like it covers grief and sorrow and pain and loneliness and suffering. And so it's like you you're fine. You're enough. And and I feel like ultimately that is the external validation we need. You know, and so then, you know, what what we are doing is we continually look and ask everybody around us, is this okay? Am I okay? You know, what do you think? And we just are continually handing our power and our worth over to people that then they're sometimes not the best with stewards of our our sense of self. And so we need to recognize if I started from a place of actually I'm okay. And then check this out. This is how I'm thinking and feeling and, and reacting. And then I can look at that with more curiosity, give myself grace, and then start to figure out what matters to me and start to turn to those things of value. And if other people are saying, I wouldn't do that, then I get to say, oh, okay, thank you. And I will continue to do the things that I now are, are learning are my God-given talents and abilities, my values. And the more you take action on those and, and stop beating yourself up and start to say, okay, if, if some setback happens, it happens then eventually what it feels like to be you is somebody that is just, you know, like having this value-based purpose-filled life and yeah, it has ups and downs, but you have tools and you have strength and and it, it is a, it's a, it's a fun ride. It, it really is. So anyway, I guess I'd say all that because, you know, you can see how fast I talk, right? So I just said all that to the guy right before I died. It was in one breath. That was yeah, all in one before breath. You it was. It. Like literally it was in one breath. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would have cut you off. I'd be like, stop. You don't get two. You're right. dead. Yeah, they, they, dead. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> so Tony, where can people find you? Oh, t- uh, TonyOverbay.com is the easiest place. On Instagram, it's Tony Overbay, I think underscore LMFT. And then I have to tell you, oh, I'll be so fast because I, I know I told you guys I literally have like do a client it, still. Do it. I have a daughter of mine that's starting to manage my TikTok account. And I have not, I'm an old man. And so, but I've just been recording all this stuff that I'm saying and she's posting it. And it's so funny. Here's the funny part. Let's end with a nice bit of self-confrontation. I did not even realize that I always had this thing in my head of like, you know, if, if somebody was putting effort into that, I'm sure it would blow up you know, or whatever, like my hopefully healthy ego. So then she starts putting effort into it. And then I'm like, I, I don't even care about views or down, you know, whatever. And then, and I ignore it for a few days. And all of a sudden I had one, you know, go viral as the kids say, and there's like six, 700,000 views. And all of a sudden there's a thousand comments. And then I was afraid to look at them, you know, and that yep. was like kind of funny too. And then I don't know if you guys know this, but I am, I am bald. I have a large head and my eyes are close together. I have found that out through the comments on the TikTok videos, but <laughs> 
but 95% of the comments are actually amazingly positive and validating. But the reason I even bring that up is that it really was a cool thing where I think three or four years ago, I would have thought, oh, I don't care what people say. I'm fine. But I think I was still myself. I would have probably been trying to, to put even content out for validation that I wanted people to like me. And now I'm putting out genuine content that I know is how I feel and what it feels like to be me. And it turns out it's, I don't, I mean, this sounds so almost like a, a negative or aggressive. I really don't care about the people that are saying, I think you're dumb. You know, I don't even feel like I need to let them know that I care because I, I, I know that I'm putting out things because it's what I believe and how I feel. And, and so I don't need that external validation where in the past I really felt like I did, but I actually want to know what you guys think and tell me that that, that um, is cool. Tony. Oh, thank so you. Cool. We, we love you. having we, you. We will totally validate you. We will oh, totally that's so validate cool. and yeah. do all the external things. Okay. And I'm, I'm joining you in the bald club very quickly. <laughs> oh, please. Um, and See, so people like you that are saying you're bald, you know, I, I, I got to say, I, I, yeah. every time my wife cuts my hair, she's like, Kenton, we're on our way. We could just bick it now. So I, I will be coming to you for some advice on hey. managing my new haircut. Hey, and then, uh, yeah, Kurt, who is that, right? I don't even know. I don't even know. But if you right. wanted to know, you go to Leading Saints and meet an old friend of ours. We're off right. and running now. So um, hey, what, a, what a joy, though. I really appreciate the invitation. And I feel like this was probably the most fun I've had on a podcast in a long time. So oh, good. Well, we're, we're, we're yeah. totally glad you were here with Great us. And so a yeah. bunch of different stuff Tony's doing as he's mentioned in here. And so I don't have to have different programs and things. Truly one of the uh, great ones in the fact that he's effective is the way I would put that. that. And so go ahead and give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world finds and aggregates us. Even if you're not listening there, follow us on social media at unashamed unafraid. And if you were in need of scholarship to do some cool things, we're going to have a conversation with Tony after this about scholarshiping some of his online programs and offering cool. those. And so if you are in need, like Tony has said, you are a human that is worthy of it and a child of God. So if you need help, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. If you'd like to join our movement and our voice of helping people and helping create these scholarships, you can go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. And so money goes to helping us create this movement, helping it move forward, and also to those scholarships. And until we connect again, continue to be unashamed. <laughs>